We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. We are coming to you today from Hillsdale College's Kirby Center here in Washington, D.C., where I'm joined by Dr. Matthew Meehan of Hillsdale College. He's the director of academic programs at Hillsdale in D.C. He's also an assistant professor of government at the grad school where you were just telling me uh, nerdy people do nerdy things and have nerdy conversations. You'll remember Dr. Mian from his podcast with Joy Pullman on his children's books. You have your hands in a lot of different pots, Dr. Mian. Guilty. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thanks for having me, Emily. Now, uh, you want to talk about something I think that's on everybody's mind across the world, which is the kill switch. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> the, the people are clamoring uh, for conversations about the kill switch. But actually, uh, the way this is going to be laid out is we're going to start with something specific that will open up uh, a world of uh, almost, a, I think you could maybe call this a Pandora's box of other problems in Western civilization. Right. So talk to us about the kill switch, the particular kill switch that you have in mind. So the sort of the, 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 the trigger for all this, it was... Uh, a piece in the Daily Caller by former Rep. Bob Barr uh, pointing out in this new bill or act now, the Surface Transportation Reauthorization Act of 2021, uh, that kind of went through and everyone said you had to sort of pass it to see what was in it. <laughs> well, one of the things that was sort of escaped notice was uh, this um, <clears throat> this new charge for the Department of Transportation to... Uh, basically set up a system, a passive system that watches drivers and measures their blood alcohol and or, but likely and, their uh, driving habits and reactivity, and then basically shut off the car or drive it to some other location, uh, perhaps a police station, right, or just to the side of a road, uh, if they are deemed to be above the legal limit for blood alcohol or intoxicated driving on the grounds that as it's true, right, there's tons of, you know, there are many alcohol related driving deaths and there's lots of expenses that are associated with it and they justify it that way. But at the end of the day, it's a kill switch, right? Mm -hmm. It's basically saying that by, you know, within five years, maximum 10 years, if there's some technological glitch, but, you know, I doubt there will be, frankly, because they already have kill switches in cars uh, in a variety of ways. Basically, uh, that every car, every new car will have to have uh, a kill switch. And if it has a kill switch, it has to be a centralized kill switch that has some kind of third party control um, that will be part of the autonomous vehicle. Um, and I think that the right uh, in particular, but basically the whole discourse uh, about these sorts of centralizing technological matters, particularly with the automobile, but there's others too, uh, has actually kind of missed a fundamental political point in favor of a lot of um, important and, and, and worth talking about in their own right, and I, I'm happy to, but privacy, um, truckers are going to lose their job if you automate these cars, uh, you know, um, safety on the road, what if a kill switch happens in a highway, you know, which are all legitimate sort of, but most of those have a technological fix, like, well, we can write an app for that kind of thing. Uh, but I think there's actually a fundamental political core to this that we're missing. Um, and principally, uh, it's the, the centralization of power 
in such a way that actually upends a democratic Republican regime. And what's interesting about that is it seems maybe in the lack of reaction um, from the right and from, our, I guess, the public more generally, this is in a piece of legislation. This is this is not a you know crazy suggestion floated by Ralph Nader. This isn't a piece of legislation. Um, and perhaps I'm curious for your take on this. The relative silence speaks to a conditioning that has slowly, although not that slowly, because it's really in the course of you know one generation, um, conditioned Americans to be comfortable with it, to not be alarmed by it. Not all Americans, probably, but enough of the public that we're not even talking about this. Yeah. I mean, so in, in 2018, uh, a number of subprime mortgage uh, and car loan uh, Entities like fi- private financial institutions that sold cards to subprime credit scored uh, consumers secretly, without the knowledge of the buyer, snuck kill switches into a bunch of their cars. Hmm. Um, and people were stopped in bad neighborhoods where they didn't feel safe in the middle of the night. People were stopped on the road and nearly killed. Uh, a host of things like this happened. And uh, uh, probably about seven or eight states actually passed a bunch of. Uh, legislation against um, secret kill switches uh, or that you had to sort of disclose that you were putting a kill switch in and that you had to do a 48-hour warning prior to killing the the switch, right? I don't think any of them actually banned kill switches, right? But basically, in all 50 states, this sort of thing was happening Mm. and only like six or seven of them had even modest legislative reactions to it. Uh, so I do think the the frog pot you know analogy fits here, and there's been brought to a uh, we're getting brought to a boil uh, on this issue. But with regard to this kill switch in this, you said legislation, yeah, law now, <laughs> not yeah. just a, not just HR whatever, right, it's, right, 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 right. And it was what is HR three six eight four, but now it's the law, yeah. And this is coming, right? And and it's typical administrative state debacle where please Department of Transportation come up with all the rules. <laughs> so, but when when they tell you that, then you go and look around in the bill. And it's not just this sort of blood alcohol content monitoring monitoring system. How they're going to do that, I have no idea. What measure the breath in the car? Mm-hmm. Well, then so much for you know designated drivers. Are they going to have like a blood sample in the wheel? What, 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 how would they you know a, a black breathalyzer in order to get the car started? Lots of privacy and prior restraint, you know, all kinds of violations. That um, passed. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just sort of there. But then you actually look at well, what is the rest of this gargantuan sort of you know pluripotent, you know, omnibus bill have in it for transportation, never mind all the gluts of spending that were sort of careless. It has tons of spending for uh, the the buzz phrase is highly automated vehicles and connected vehicle systems. That is to say, full on autonomous cars, but they're not actually autonomous. They're, they're not self-law-giving. They don't drive themselves. They're actually patched into some kind of central organizing mainframe. And if you look at the technology of, of self-driving cars, the hope was, yeah, we're going to have these sort of, they're totally, they just, they have their own ability and they do their own thing and, and then they talk to one another on the road with their sensors, right? But really you need maps uh, and you need coordination with traffic and you need sort, some sort of grid coordination. So there's always, even with that model, a centralization model. Mm-hmm. But you look at this transportation bill and they're actually, no, even that problematically 
networked, centralized system that had some breaks on it. They're funding pilot programs. They're saying the trend, this bill gives, no, we sluice cash to anyone doing R&D to ramp up and actually sort of uh, juice this ability to merge all of our vehicles into unified centralized systems, right? Add a kill switch, right? And you have one of the greatest losses of citizen power in the history of the world happening, you know, I won't say overnight because it's going to be grandfathered in from 20, 2006 or 2026 on, but but that transition won't take that long, 20 years, and you will have the divestment of power, real power invested in the American people who are sovereign in this democratic republic will be now only vested in them insofar as the government wishes them to be, right? Well, that's what a kill switch would do. That's what the ability to centralize control of the vehicles will mean, right? Horsepower is mm -hmm. power, right? When, we, when, when, when after the Civil War and Reconstruction, when the slaves were freed, people were, were very keen to like 40 acres and a mule, Get them some actual horse flesh or some, you know, partial horse flesh. Give them some power. Mm. They need agency to be free citizens, right? And yes, not everyone owns a home, but people own a scooter or they might own a jet ski or they might own a car, right? Even if it's a Corolla, that's a lot of horsepower, right? Uh, I own a Corolla. But, but, <laughs> and but I the, own a scooter. <laughs> all right, fantastic. Um, but the, 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 this horsepower, right? Is the, in a certain sense, it is the de facto guarantor of the de jure sovereignty of the American people. Right. And we're talking about privacy, which is important. We're talking about job loss, also important. But this is regime change, like deep-seated regime change. And it's just quietly slipping away if this, this sort of thing, this bill in particular, and other things like it aren't carefully addressed to prevent the centralization. And to dwell on the specifics of this, and the, maybe the we clearly don't know exactly how all of this would be fleshed out, because as you say, it's sort of getting punted to the administrative state and the Department of Transportation and R&D uh, to figure out how this would actually work and be implemented. But you mentioned that it wouldn't just be blood alcohol content. There would be perhaps other justifications for using that kill switch. What do we know about the proposed uses of this technology and this power? Um, what do we know from people who've floated it and have codified it? What are, you, what are they sort of thinking of its uses as? Um, so uh, in part, I'd be it's speculation, right? But you have to sort of connect some dots. And the danger here is you get into the wall of crazy of the sort of paranoid style of the right, which paranoids <laughs> have enemies, too. And. Uh, and so I think you have to be jealously guarding this question. So in one sense, uh, I'm speculating, but let's do some of that. Right. Sure. Like yeah. the, 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 bearing that in mind. So, for instance, the whole idea of a smart city, a, fr a dear friend of mine is, is actually really interested in creating sort of little zones of control where a city can help organize its traffic, organize its own Internet. Right. I think is actually a really cool dynamic thing. The problem is, can you guarantee it doesn't get sucked up into a central system? Right. Right. Sort of the idea if you come into town, your car might be commandeered to do this, that and the other thing. I have a real problem with that, even on the, the, the city level. Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of things that some smart city advocates uh, are talking about. Right. Is where you come in and now. The car, basically, you let go of the wheel and it drives you around to, you know, get the right kind of traffic pattern flows or, the, you know, in the bill, actually, they call it platooning, right, where you <laughs> sort of 
uh, you, 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 you join a pod and then you don't have control. Your pod takes you through the city um, so that you can have sort of like uh, almost sort of mass production traffic patterns. Right. Sort of a kind of Henry Ford gone wild. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but the, um, so th just that alone tells you there's clearly the desire to wrest the control from the driver. Yep. Right. Just they want that to the government. Yeah, to, to, to right. right to some kind of centralized transportation group, right? Uh, but centralized to a, a local government, maybe to a private outfit like they do to toll roads. But either which way, it's centralized power. It's corporate or it's government, and those two things get very confused these days, as you've covered in this podcast in a variety <laughs> of ways elsewhere. Um, so, so that sort of thing. Then combine that with the general, I think, absurdist penchant of. Uh, modern bureaucratic governance, mm. which is to distrust the people first, right, and say, no, 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 this situation has to be handled exclusively by the professionals, mm. right? I think of um, uh, the the great flood in Louisiana, and was it 2015, and Hurricane Harvey in 2016 in Houston and the Cajun Navy, mm. right? The, the plan was block all the roads, this is a disaster area. This is for FEMA and the National Guard mm. and the Texas State Guard and Louisiana State Guard and, 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 and uh, you know, uh, firemen and police and Red Cross ambulances, et cetera, et cetera. That was the plan, right? And they actually did set up roadblocks uh, and they had protocols, et cetera. And then a bunch of guys with trucks, a lot of them were former military, former firemen, right? But a lot of them were just like Joe Schmo, right? Like some dropout from art school who had a truck. Right. And, you know, a bunch of housewives actually just posted up at a Costco and started actually asking people for donations and then putting them in trucks and sending them to Houston from Louisiana. Mm. Right. So they drove up with these trucks and, and met roadblocks and they're like, no, you can't come in. It was like, well, you see, that flood water is right here. So this is basically an informal makeshift flood put in mm. for my boat. So are you going to arrest me? You want to call the mayor? No? Okay, so I'm just going to go and put my boat in. And it turns out they wound up saving thousands of people, right? I mean, and we're talking actual rubber hits the road, civil disobedience for the sake of saving your fellow citizens. At one point, one of the floods that followed from uh, Hurricane Harvey was um, at Port, I think it's Port Arthur, Texas, um, sort of Gulf Coast, but not Houston proper. And the Cajun Navy got wind of it, so they head down there. Uh, and bring a bunch of boats, and they're in, you know, five-foot water, it's sewage, it's gasoline, there's electricity, and basically it's like, it's unsafe for untrained citizens to be here, everybody don't come, and they found a nursing home that was actually calling them on, like, WhatsApp or whatever, like, we heard about the Cajun Navy, please come save us, no one's helping us. The the nursing home, you know, corporation had decided that it was, for insurance purposes, too dangerous to ask anyone but the state or national guard to rescue them, but they weren't coming anytime soon. And so you had all these old people basically wasting away unto death of dehydration in five feet of sewage water in hospital beds floating inside of a nursing home. Mm -hmm. Cajun Navy shows up and the, the hospital guy says, no, I'm under orders from my corporation. And he's like, no, we're going to save these people. They're dying. And I don't care about your insurance. We're going to go save some human lives because these are our fellow citizens and we're Christians and we're coming. We're going to do this. And it got to fisticuffs, right? The guy got a black eye. He physically fought off the the guy running the nursing home. And on the way out, he called a Texas congressman and a U.S. congressman saying, hey, uh, 
I just got into a fight and broke what is the law or whatever. <laughs> right, yeah. and, and they said, like, oh, that is crazy. We'll sort that out later. Right. Thank you. That is to say, the idea of the sovereign American people making on the ground, serious, life-saving decisions in times of stress and duress, right, that actually is good, right? It's good to be able to make judgment calls when the, the ability of calm, deliberative government in an emergency can't fully stretch itself to make rational and just decisions. Sometimes the situation changes. And it's a precisely the wonderful genius. I mean, Aristotle says this in the politics. More actually is better, right? That the, the good part of a of democratic republicanism, he didn't quite put in those words, but the good part of having a demos, right, is that if there's enough people looking at situations, they're going to seize upon the right answer. Right. So the sort of like, no, only the expert bureaucrat is that's the sole means by which we can make judgments, particularly in an emergency with very quickly changing facts on the ground. Right. That kind of diversity that is completely fueled by horsepower. Right. right? You can't get the boat there without the truck and you can't get the truck there. Now, imagine if there was a kill switch. Right. The, gov the right. governor of Texas or, or the, the mayor of Houston says, this is a disaster zone. We can't have you people meddling here. Boom. Right. Tens of thousands more people would have died. Right. And in, right. it would have been implemented in very innocuous terms, if not even ones that are sort of dressed in virtue as though like this is like we are here to protect you. Yes. Yeah, that is our first. duty. Yes. Right. Safety first. And we are the government and we have jurisdiction here. This we are arresting this control from you. And it does. Um, before we started recording, you said this ties in perfectly to what's happening in Canada with the truckers. And you can see it is it is not a leap at all. No. Um, imagine if Trudeau had a kill switch. He would easily use it. I he mean, he just, he just he wouldn't have even had to go emergency powers. Right. They they were setting up roadblocks on their way to Ottawa. Right. Right. And he would have he would have just had the 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 uh, um, the police force the Mounties just and just shut them all down. But good, right? That's what a lot of people would say. A lot of people now, I think, in 2022, and this would not have been the case in, you know, even 20 years ago, I don't think, but a lot of people in 2022 might say, yes, this is good. They um, and the unvaccinated and those who don't support vaccine mandates are endangering everyone. Big Brother should come and save us. Yeah, I, I think I think they do say that. Um, and maybe that's because of the political sort of dynamic of the freedom truckers and right. you know, masks and all that stuff. Like, that's very contentious. But I think if you actually start appealing to people on a, a less uh, politically charged issue per se, sure. uh, like um, snow disasters, have you ever had to, like, <laughs> make a run to X, Y, and Z place or check on your grandma or the baby came a week early, mm. right? Or whatever during a, a snow disaster, right? It's like, no, only emergency vehicles. You call for the cops if you have a birth right. or you call for an ambulance, right? And like well, in a snow situation, maybe an ambulance isn't going to come fast enough. Have you seen Krampus? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> oh, gosh, help me. <laughs> Krampus with the kill switch. Yeah. <laughs> That's chilling. Well, but, but so, yeah, I, I get, I get what you're, the reference, but, 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 but that, that's the kind of thing where you're like, no, 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 no. It actually matters, right? Fires, tornadoes. All sorts of things, right? Even uh, think of the Boston bombings, mm. right? Stay in your homes. 9-11. Right? 9-11, right? Everybody know, like, sorry, we're going to handle this. It's only the professionals, right? And, and it, what it is is even on a fundamental level, it is saying, you know what? The people actually need to be ruled 
and should not be trusted to actually look out for their neighbor. And that message will actually if you think there's a bunch of deplorables you don't like now, yeah. wait till you tell them that they're worthless and have no stake in the city, mm-hmm. that they're actually not responsible for their neighbor in any way, right? You turn them all into canes. Am I my brother's keeper, right? No ables, right? You enable them, pun intended, by actually saying, no, you hold a certain amount of power, and that power, with great power comes great responsibility. Same with horsepower, mm. right? So you actually, it's a fundamental part of our way of life uh, and our democratic Republican regime, and it's a threat. Well, and I'd love for you to talk more about that, because in the context of emergency powers, the sort of, this is a very persuasive argument, but I also want to talk about just sort of how this is an invasion of of basic human freedom, and like, because what you're describing, it's the virtues of freedom, and on a let's say on a on a mundane ordinary day, just a, a regular Monday, you are going to your office at nine a.m. or you're going to your co-working space as it may be now at nine a.m. <laughs> you get in your car and you know you just you go through the the check right like it's you're you're allowed to to get in and and turn the I guess you wouldn't have to turn the key um, to start up your car and and drive to work. How did the government? infringe or negatively affect your life by infringing on your freedom in this sort of mundane, um, th- this mundane conception of what this might look like. Meaning if if it wound up having kill switches and basic like we can rest control of the drive for you, et cetera. That, yeah, that exactly. Sort of like it's integrated into everyday life. <laughs> What's the what is the consequence on a sort of individual everyday level? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you could say agency, right? Uh, autonomy. But those, I, I don't I think those are almost sort of like shades of gray. And, and, and at the end of the day, basically what you're saying is that you actually do not get to have civic responsibility. Right? Oh, interesting. Because the power, horsepower, right, is civic responsibility. Mm-hmm. You have an enormously powerful machine, and it's yours, and you're expected to be responsible. It's a puberty right, mm-hmm. right? Go get, go drive. Go get in behind that rocket and learn how to deal with a dangerous machine that is fast-moving and has way more power than you've ever had at your fingertips before, right? That is an ennobling, right, responsibility to take it seriously, right? And and look, sometimes uh, the, my my friends in the front porch conservatism and new urbanist movement, which I, I love a lot of that stuff, they're right about like car cultures ruined downtown plazas and lots of different kinds of, you know, habitable walking spaces and, you know, a scooter will do, et cetera, et cetera. Sure to an extent. But uh, one way or another, that horsepower is going to be a part of modern society. And if it is centralized, right, that is going to have this, I think, loss of the ennobling responsibilities of self-government, right, which is part of our work. Our dignity is in part what we work on. And if we work only on things that are not dangerous, not powerful, those things in a certain sense are not as serious, right, uh, relative to a government that would then have a monopoly on power. I always get in my libertarian friends' faces like, the government has a monopoly on power. I'm like, have you ever restrained a three-year-old child who's trying to touch a stove, <laughs> right? Have you ever seen someone escorted from a building by private security, right? Have you ever seen someone use a snowplow, right, that's privately owned to move hundreds of pounds of snow? That's all power. Mm. And the government does not have a monopoly on it. In fact, it's decentralized, 
right? And you want to get into like full on deep Western tradition. Please. The fome spaccati, as Augustine would say, right? The now I know we're at Hillsdale. The flame of evil, right? The fire of evil, right? Power corrupts and PowerPoint corrupts. Absolutely. No, right? Power corrupts and, you know, and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Right. Central decentralization of power right has been a feature of western civilization be it the medieval monarchy the 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 genuine you know city state the the, the printing press the magna carta right the printing press the american federal system making sure that there are separations and decentralizations of power in one way or another some kind of configuration that does that has been a kind of genius mm. of i think Right. The, both the Roman Republic in a certain sense. Uh, you can read it theoretically in Aristotle's politics. But then the Christians are like, yeah, no, we should be very careful about this because we have this pension for evil. So we need to watch this out. Now you add the, the, the unbelievable technological power for centralization in the modern sort of uh, digital age. And you should even be more careful, not less. And we're being extremely casual with the centralization of real power, right? So it has a positive sense of giving people power as part of their ennobling responsibilities, right? So that they have sort of buy into the system in various ways. Like, well, I don't own a home. It's like, but you own a scooter, mm -hmm. right? And don't you, do you, do you take a Uber Eats job on the side, right? And that's agency and excellence and responsibility, mm. right? Like, go, that's great, right? I can't do much, but, you know, I've, I've got a pickup truck, so I help my brother move, Right. And I, I got a hospital bed for my great uncle when he, you know, got cancer, right? And I could pick it up, right? So I can just do good things for other people because I have horsepower, right? So the centralization of all that power, to my mind, is with the overweening administrative state and all other kinds of centralizing power is just a massive mistake right now. Dystopia is a word that feels futuristic and removed, but that is, it's utterly dystopic and it is so dark. And I ask this question not to be a smart aleck, but because I think it might uh, prompt an interesting argument, but is this not just a slippery slope from seatbelt laws? Because that's what a lot of people are going to say. They're, they're going to say the federal government or the state government is already involved in my drive to work in so many ways. And even in my own calculation about my personal safety, when I get in the car, um, I, it, it is you know the law that I have to put a, a, slap, or a slab of fabric across my body um, to operate the vehicle. So is there a sense in which that does that maybe get to the conditioning? I, I'm sure there's some conditioning question there, but I do think uh, there's a difference in kind. Right? Was is a Cass Sunstein famous for the nudge? Yeah. Right. So you're going to be nudged with a little like beeper that says "ding dong, get your seatbelt on." Right. Like, <laughs> and so you're getting nudged. Right. And that's like very sort of best best bureaucratic practices. Right. To nudge the citizenry to do what people who know better than them should do, right? Okay, this is a kill switch. It's not a nudge. Mm. It's the revocation of the power. This is like the enclosure movement, right? The peasants right, of England had ancestral homes where they farmed and gave a third to the Lord and kept, you know, and, and distributed the rest elsewhere. But, but they had ancestral homes that their own family had had for 800 to 1,000 years. And the Lords owned the land, but there was a... a, a of an agreement that this is your use of this land that I own, but you have a customary use and in a certain sense, a claim, a, a, a property claim, right? And then they just said one day, 
Uh, you know what? That title of land use, it is mine, and you're out mm-hmm. for a thousand years. And they're like, but that, but I own that. This is where you get people like uh, Moore's Utopia. Speaking of dystopians, right? The, the Moore's Utopia and John Locke talking about work. Right, working with property in a certain sense bespeaks some kind of ownership, mm. right? Be it customary or conventional, even, right? Is this idea of right that you're you, there's an arrangement that's understood? This is the revocation of that arrangement. It's your car, not today. It's not mm. right. So it's my car, but I'm going to pester you to do things and even harry you. And this, so this cracks open a whole other aspect of all this, which. I think is more of a conditioning problem than those kinds of nudges, right? right? It's actually what it is, is it's the removal of the human element from enforcement. Yes. Right. They yes. can say, well, isn't a mayor or a governor or a president going to, or, you know, or some right. head of FEMA going to have the kill switch or what have you and, <laughs> you know, sort of power it all down, right? Uh, yeah, okay. Yes. Behind that. But- but but it's still a kind of you don't know the person you don't know what they're doing good or bad you're just I'm just basically punishing everybody with a lack of the use of their property I'm revoking all of your property yeah right on mass without any personal touch right this is what speed cameras right yep speed cameras are where usually you're used to a cop. And so there's a way of doing things. Vienna, Virginia, the hill down from Tyson's into Vienna on Maple, famous for years. They don't do it as much. They still do it. Famous for just one to one mile per hour over and you were toast. They were brutal and cruel. <laughs> People really disliked them to the point where they had to back off a little because there was actually an uprising. Like, we don't like what you're doing. Mm. Right. Now, an inhuman, but you had to actually deal with a cop. And you could express your displeasure and you had a badge number and a person right. who was responsible. If it's the speed camera that's just clocking you at, by the way, an arcane unknown thing, unless you're really smart, you can Google it. But lots of normal, simple people don't know that it's 11 miles per hour in most speed cameras, right? And right. some of them are seven. And it depends on where you are and which jurisdiction, as opposed to posted sign and then a kind of customary negotiation with a cop. And if you're not from around here and you don't know the custom, you can kind of talk your way to a warning maybe or maybe not. But the, 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 the personal judgment about justice and therefore also about equity in enforcement, right, you're removing these things when you digitize and centralize these kinds of command and control decisions. And it's your your car is your property, like your house is your property if you own it. And it's you know the, the government saying you're emitting too much carbon, and I'm turning the nightlight off in your kid's room, even though you as the parent have judged that that is best. They're taking over the system, um, and our our lives are predicated on the highway system. They're predicated. On, I mean. Most communities in the country are organized so that to get food, you have to drive and you have your your personal property that helps you do that. But that's the way the vast majority of Americans live. And this is the federal government saying, no, 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 no. this system now belongs to us. All your base are belong to us. Right. It's total takeover. It's for, I mean, and, and you're like, no, de facto, they probably wouldn't do it except when they really needed to for a real emergency, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, have you been watching the last two years? They don't seem to yes. actually have an honest hold on what a real emergency is. So think of Trudeau is just the latest example. Right. But but like emergency powers are supposed to be emergent problems. April. I don't believe COVID is still emerging. Yes. Right. I think we're done with the emergence <laughs> yes. of COVID. We'll think right. of April, May 
2020. Um, you can use the roads in, in this world um, that is, I guess, becoming less hypothetical by the day. Um, you can use the roads at this time, this time, and this time to go get food. And if you don't, for whatever reason, nope. You're not doing it. Um, and we saw the way emergency powers were used and abused in various states. We see the way emergency powers are being abused by Justin Trudeau, who is very much in the image of the Pete Buttigieg sort of managerial uh, Western bureaucrat. This is sort of terrifying. Well, it, it threatens so many other rights, like the right of protest. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, we're, there's, there's a true or false flag of perhaps one group of miscreants we found on the internet who might be coming for the the pro-life march in right. Sacramento. Uh, so, sorry, we're going to um, kill switch the vans mm-hmm. and the trucks and the the station wagons and the minivans. Like, it's all over, mm-hmm. right? We just, we don't want anyone coming into town today. Mm. So you can't assemble, right? Or if you're, you're unvaccinated. Um, well, that's a whole other, yeah, they get, right. There's, there's all don't kinds of- Don't go to the co- grocery store or that There's all kinds concert. of cocktails that, you know, of different sorts of- Overlays of other political, you know, machinations, and and so, but to my mind, it sort of was like you can the the, the possibilities are legion, but the central problem is the the norm of Republican government, Roman Republic, the Republic of London, right, that secured its liberties against the king in the Magna Carta, mm-hmm. right, the 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 Republican city states of Northern Italy, right, our American Republic, the Republican way of life requires a certain amount of what has normally been understood as horsepower, equites, right. right? A certain class or middling group of people that stabilize the regime, talk about Aristotle's politics again, that you want a middling regime with a middling group of people who have some deeper investment because they hold some property, right? And you want that to be as big a group as possible to stabilize the regime against oligarchic, uh, honor-loving psychopaths and democratic mob rule passions, right? You want someone who's sort of, you know, balancing these two and feels connected to both, but has some purchase in the system the way the rich do, but not so much that they feel alienated from the poor, right? This is a fundamental part of how you secure a constitutional moderate government, right? And the means by which has been, right, can, can you afford a horse to plow your fields, to take to the field and actually fight for the country a little, right? Mm. Do you have this? The modern commercial republic, right, has been the horse first and now horsepower. Mm. And you, you pull that away from the American people and give it to a handful of elites. With the, 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 and I mean that technically. Elites, literally, that the etymology of that word is people who've been elected. Right. right? The, 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 the upper crust of the political system. Even in an electoral democracy, it kills the republicanism, which prevents them from throwing it into overdrive as a full-on aristocratic, which is a nice way of putting, oligarchic technocracy. Technocracy, right. And the the idea that this can even be achieved right now is thanks to the growth of an administrative state that, I mean, if if we didn't have a vast and sprawling administrative department of transportation or administrative state in general, I don't know how they could even you know, float an idea like this because there would be no way to implement it. But there's so much power now in the hands of people who are not at all elected and who can override the will of those who 
are elected and operate not at the will of those who are elected, that it, it seems to be even worse than uh, the idea that the elites will control it. And that Cajun Navy and the Freedom Trucker and Rolling Thunder and a thousand other things where, you know, we have a disagreement and we're going to peacefully deal with it, right? And we're going to peacefully deal with it, right, by bringing our horsepower to bear mm. in a peaceful protest, right, and civilly disobey, right? peasants don't have a lot of ability to, to peacefully protest very successfully, right? You actually need to have some kind of property and power. And it didn't work very well at the end of the medieval period, right? The pilgrimage of grace, they brought weapons because that's all the power most of them had. So they brought a pitchfork. Some of them brought granddaddy's sword from the, the wars with France, right? And that was as good as it got, but they didn't have enough horses, Right. But if they had horses and horsepower, imagine that if they had sort of come to Henry VIII and said, maybe you can't confiscate our property and do X, Y and Z and persecute these religious minorities. Right. Like maybe that's not good what you're doing and it's tyrannical. He might have had to listen more. Hmm. Right. Because the, because at the end of the day, while there is there is right. Right. Right and might should be associated and synced up. And it is right that people should have some ability to check a large centralized government. And the, the de facto means by which that right is secured is with the might of horsepower. So if, let's say, Pete Buttigieg was sitting across from me right now and not me, um, he's probably also owns a scooter, though, so it's, it's similar in a way. But if he was talking to you right now, he would say maybe, you know, if we can save X number of traffic deaths and, and tragedies every single year by adopting this system, why do you want those people to die? Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, while I think that's a canard, right, and there are a ton of really important things that you could pour a billion dollars of federal money into that would reduce a lot of these you know, alcohol-related driving deaths. Right. Uh, and so I think it's a canard in one sense. It's a look at the poor suffering people so I can do this centralization of power for my elite pals, right? I, that happens all the time, right? Um, I, I would still say, after pushing back in a thousand ways on that sort of more practical question, there is still the principal question of death is not the worst thing. <laughs> it's just not. Right. And if you start from that position, you actually don't want free government, right? You don't want it. You want some other kind of technocratic no. cocoon, right? And this is what has because, been... Because freedom requires risk. I think that's what has been so startling to a lot of the technocrats and uh, elites in this country over the course of the pandemic. Um, I remember going to West Virginia around May of 2020, June of 2020. It was filled with elderly people who were not wearing masks, and I probably wouldn't be super stoked if my grandparents had done that, but they were having a great time, um, and you could sort of, if you would talk, they the answer is just, I value my freedom because I'm not particularly afraid of death right now. I want to live my life. Um, and I think that it's for a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people made that personal, that calculus uh, for themselves. And I'm not saying that this, we could talk about transmission and all of that, but I'm just saying people were making that personal calculation that they valued their freedom in their life and their ability to live a free life and to enjoy it um, and to you know serve their creator um, in ways that just cut against the technocratic outlook on what human life should look like. 
Yeah, even with uh, this is a shout out to some of my friends who've been fighting the mask mandates for children in schools, right. which does to my mind feel like uh, I have a certain duty to the weakest among us who don't have a good voice for themselves. So I'll, I'll tie in a story with regard to that. When I was a, a secondary school teacher, I don't know if some of you, are, your listeners will remember the, uh, the, the DC sniper, right? Right. That's hiding in the trunk of the car, but everyone had the wrong. It was like a white van and the other thing that was a white car. And I had a white car at the time. And I was driving home from a party and got descended upon by two traffic helicopters. Really? Yeah. So I was like, it's not me. <laughs> but, um, uh, but what I was teaching in a, a, a private, you know, a, a, a private, uh, prep school. And, um, we had, a walkway that was on a hill that was open to the road down below. And uh, so the kids, there was, there was parents were like, well, there's a safety concern. Are you worried about this shooter? Right. So we blocked the front gate with vans. Right. So that no, no one could come up and shoot anybody because it was, you know, there was a real legit terror. People were being shot on a almost daily or whatever. Every other day they were getting shot in like Home Depot, not far from us, hmm. uh, from the school. So the, the teachers actually, the solution was it was makeshift for sure. The solution was we will stand about 15, 20 feet apart and stand still on this walkway. They have to go from the gymnasium to the classrooms mm. during breaks so that we're a still and easily hit target and they won't go for a moving target. Now, that's not a great solution in one sense. Right. But, it, but in terms of like, well, it's an outside chance, but we should put the children first. Right. Right. And our safety second, because we're the adults and we get in front of the bullet. Right. We're the ones who should take a hit. Right. Sort of the deck of the Titanic, women and children first. Right. Like like it's that's proper. Right. So what we're seeing now is actually the opposite. Right. The children must suffer for our safety. Right. Even though forget the science and how sort of, you know, at first, not ludicrous, but now ludicrous uh, it is to think that the masking is actually going to save adult lives of masking of the children. I think that's a very specious claim now. Uh, but but even if it were legit, it's the it's the reverse order. Right. Actually, as an adult, you're more capable of self-gift even unto death. Mm. Right? That's actually like that's that's the whole that the virtue of courage exists because it's proper Right. And good and very human to be willing to sustain a wound for others in your community. And that's what we actually ask adults to do. We ask soldiers to go into harm's way. We ask mothers to give birth, which is risky. Like there's we ask these things as part of a flourishing, virtuous, happy, self-governing society. Right. So if death is the worst thing, Pete Buttigieg, then. <laughs> uh, go go to Canada and hang out with Trudeau. Like, I don't know. I was just going to say, I think that that dynamic you were just talking about it in those hypotheticals whether it's out in West Virginia or in the the sniper situation this is outsourcing the decision to the government and for all of the lamentations about the rights focus on rugged individualism which I'll certainly concede I think was uh, overstated at times and too much of a focus many many times but the point of individualism um, in a healthy country would be that you have the individual freedom to organize in communities um, and it seems like when you have this these uh, just anemic communities, that freedom, I, I can see how it seems much less valuable to people. Yeah, right. Well, and this gets to, you know, the what's the old line from the founding fathers quoting Cicero, right? The family 
mm. uh, is the sem seminary of the Republic, right? right? So there's a certain amount of like the family helps build happy communities. And if you don't have those things, then the preservation of them and the agency and use of power in them doesn't strike you as as important, right? So I think these things are threatened by those sort of deeper humane questions of male-female relations, of the family and children and all that. But this is, I think it stands on its own in a different sense, mm -hmm. right? On its own and contributes to that one as well, right? And this is the big fight on the new right about like, do you f fix economic problems in order to generate better family formation or do you insist on better family formation, which came first chicken of the egg, et cetera? It seems to me that, you know, in, in one sense, thinking about it in strictly economic terms might be limiting. Thinking about it as dignity and, right, uh, responsibility. And then that's where I get, um, that's why I, I want to do a podcast on this, right? Like, this is big. Yeah. This is a This is a power that is a responsibility which teaches people that they're they're serious people that you're serious right and it's it's not it's not at the end of the day that the argument for it but it's a sign that's very intelligible to everyone that I'm an, I'm a serious person I, I I get on the road and I drive this big hunk of metal and <laughs> right like it's a it's a powerful machine and I could do a lot of damage but I don't cuz I'm a responsible person who thinks things through I mean it's a it's a real deal and it's not to be taken lightly. Uh, Dr. Matthew Meehan, is there anything else you would like to terrify us with this afternoon? <laughs> no, I, I'm actually, I'm so, I, I laughed when I told everyone, I'm like, I am going to go full Cassandra on the walls of Troy because it's not my normal mode. Like, I tend to be sort of like chilling people out and yeah. we've lost all the institutions. Like, no, we haven't. We have this one and that one. Calm down. This is very positive. Like, I tend to be sort of the Pollyanna sort of like, you know, uh, cheering people up. So I, the answer is no, I do not. Uh, I have dropped enough black pills today. That, uh, but but I, I think the hopeful part is um, I hope people listen to this and and I this this uh, kill switch stuff, right? In this in this law uh, and in others, um, and and everywhere it's found, kill it with fire. Right? Mm. It needs to be brought down uh, and watched carefully on these political levels, not on the privacy level, not on the it's my property level per se. Although obviously a property claim is the short version of everything I've been saying about horsepower and agency right. and all these things, right? It's not um, uh, a safety concern. Um, it's not even a changing the contract. Like I bought the car, but it's not really your car the way you understood it or your grandparents understood it. It's like this new magical different kind of car that's ours when we want it. Right. It, it, it's I think it's fundamentally about self-government and our constitutional arrangement. Like this is what we are. Uh, and if you do this, you're going to like stick a, a big piece of rebar into the thigh of the body politic, right? It's going to be a wound that will hurt and maim America. And it's got to be opposed, removed, stopped from being implemented. And killed wherever it crops up, because I imagine this wouldn't be the end of it. That's right. Dr. Matthew Mean of Hillsdale College, Director of Academic Programs at Hillsdale in D.C., also an Assistant Professor of Government at the Graduate School here, which, by the way, if you've enjoyed this conversation, you should apply to the Amen. Hillsdale Graduate yes, School. Yes, please do. Uh, well, we were coming to you today from Hillsdale College's Kirby Center here in Washington, D.C., and we're so grateful uh, to you, Dr. Mean, for bringing this to our attention. Thank you, Emily.
All right. Well, you've been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at the Federalist. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. Mm-hmm.